Today's episode of The Dave Chang Show is brought to you by State Farm. Look, as you guys know, I tend to give it to you straight. And while I know a lot of things, I also know there are times when I need to lean on others for help. When it comes to insurance, State Farm is the one I count on. I love that they make insurance easy. You can monitor your coverage, pay your bill, or even file a claim with their app, which was just awarded Best Insurance Mobile App of 2019. And thanks to their network of 19,000 agents, you'll have someone local to walk you through options and help you choose a policy that truly meets your needs versus cookie-cutter coverage. But what I appreciate most is that they don't mess around. They don't bother with gimmicks or games, just helpful guidance you can rely on. Go out and get the insurance you deserve. Get State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Get a quote or find an agent at statefarm.com. And now, The Day Chang Show. Show part of the Radio Podcast Network presented by Major Domo Media. Thanks to Yola Tango, as always, for letting us use their music in the introduction. We have a great guest today. Wiley Dufresne joins us on another installment of Too Small to Fail. Currently, Wiley is the chef owner of Dew's Donuts in Brooklyn, and before that, one of the most important chefs and best chefs in America and the world from 71 Clinton and WD50, and my good friend. He's been on before. If you haven't listened to that podcast we recorded over the summer, highly encourage you guys to check it out. And uh, one of the most important voices in food, not just in the technique and the cooking, but how to run a business and how to treat your employees. And um, please listen to everything he says, some incredibly important stories he shares with us. Before we get to that, wanted to talk about an idea that I've been sort of kicking around that initially I thought was a joke to other people, but I've never thought of it as a joke. Um, the world is headed towards some version of takeaway and delivery. And even when we are reopen, I, I don't see how a restaurant that was only designed to do dine-in only, for example, won't do takeaway or delivery in addition to even doing a two, three mission star restaurant, we'll have to, you know, I've spoke to Nick Kokonis about this. And if you want to see what is probably one of the best in class programs in America, look no further than the linear group in Chicago. And it's about who's going to be able to adapt, who has the ability to adapt to number one. And uh, we're all going to have to share information with each other. There is no sort of competitive advantage here. Everyone benefits when everyone is working at a high level here. And, I think one of the issues that we're going to have is figuring out how do we take away and how do we deliver food, both in an urban and suburban area. And we're probably going to need better insight just how different New York City is compared to the rest of America. It seems that travel to work in your car is going to be way more conducive to potentially being safe than taking public transport. And that's something that all the New York restaurants have to sort out and figure out. So shout out to the Independent Restaurant Coalition and to Roar. Just to, you know, we have a bunch of organizations from the New York State area that are pushing the the movement forward for representation and a voice in how things are going to go moving forward for restaurants and restaurant employees. But one of the things that we're going to have to sort out is what matters in really dense areas in New York, like New York City versus the rest of the world. 
you know, LA, San Francisco, Seattle seem to be, or even Texas, right? Like look at what Chris Shepard is doing and the whole underbelly organization able to do charity and delivery work and to keep their restaurants open. I think we're going to need to share these stories and figure out how to cobble together best in class practices. But I continue to focus on two things. One is the delivery fees that are being saddled on all the restaurants. And it's great that people are now taking notice to delivery fees of restaurants, but you know, 30% is indentured servitude, but that's just the start. I need people to look at everything else and the whole model of restaurants need to change from the top down. All the things that were problematic, I think were sort of being addressed or at least talked about, but now this is an opportunity where we don't have to inherit the legacy issues and we can try to envision what is a best in class environment for everyone from the diners to the employees and to the farmers and the purveyors. And the one thing I I sort of come back to time and time again is food's going to have to be more expensive, unfortunately, if we want to take care of everybody. And I don't imagine food being more expensive and the restaurants taking more of a cut. This would be specifically to better provide the benefits for all the employees. Um, Two, or I'm talking about hazard pay, pay time off, healthcare, all the things that we need that are basic essentials. And we'll see how that shakes out. But the other thing besides that is how food is going to get delivered and food is going to be taken away. And I do think that the food service industry on delivery front should be a a regulated business. If we have congressional oversight of the auto industry, of the airline industry, we're talking about a giant chunk of the economy that is food that gets delivered, whether it's a variety, I don't even want to name the names, everyone knows them. But um, you know, this 30% is not good enough for the restaurants. We need to find a better model. It's something that I've certainly explored and dabbled in to figure out what that model is, because it's something I have always seen as a broken model. And it would also be foolish to say that the future doesn't include some form of takeaway or delivery. And I don't know, the the idea that I keep on punting around is what if the United States Postal Service was part of delivery, was part of takeout? I think it could work. And I know that everyone's saying it's impossible. And currently, the United States Postal Service is going through a lot of issues. There's a great article in The New Yorker, you should check it out, about sort of the trials and tribulations that they're currently going through, a lot of struggles. But what we need to sort out is, you know, what's the future model look like for them? And how do we sort of integrate that? in new ways. And I think one of the new ways is delivering food. And maybe it's not just delivering packages and letters. What if throughout the day, couriers are dropping off food? I know they have the technology, they have the logistics, they have the employees, the bandwidth to sort of pivot into doing this. And and uh, listen, I don't have the answers, but it's something that I want to sort of propose because maybe maybe something like that might be the best scenario. I don't know, but I want to throw out the rule book, basically. And what's giving me hope and what's giving me excitement for the future, as bleak as it seems, is the idea that we can make anything possible. We have to make the impossible happen. We can no longer apply past scenarios and historical answers, really. Like how we used to do it just won't fucking work anymore. And we need to sort of take a leap of faith and engineer new solutions to new problems. And I don't know, man, if we don't get some kind of fix to the delivery system now, 
it's going to be a slippery slope regardless. So I hope the government is listening. I hope that they will intervene. And um, there's a lot of things the government needs to get right. I don't want to talk about it more than I need to. But, uh, you know, we'll talk about this another day. Let's get into the podcast with Wiley Dufresne. It's a good one. I want to jump in a little bit differently today, and, and I want to talk about how Wiley ended up on this recording with us today. Um, yeah, who canceled? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I got an email with the subject line, salt, from one Wiley Dufresne. And uh, can you tell me what that email was about, Wiley, and why you, why you sent that to me? Well, I was concerned that Dave was running low on salt, and... <laughs> I have an abundance of it, so I was going to send some salt to Dave, but I don't know where he is. Uh, so I reached out to Chris and I said, "Hey, man, I'm an do you know Dhabi. where Dave is?" <laughs> uh, what led you to believe that Chang was short on salt? Well, because I believe everything he says, and he said that he was running low on salt on his Instagram. I am running low on salt. I need to get more salt right now. You will have no idea that I have no oil. The only oil I have in my house right now is sesame, roasted <laughs> sesame oil. So, yeah, I'm not, I'm not even kidding you. It's been, like, crazy how much food we go through. And oils and salts are actually harder to come by than normal. For me, at least. I mean, I'm getting it online. Are you considering maybe collecting rainwater and drying it out? Or? <laughs> I'm just hoping for Waterworld. Finally, I can live the Kevin Costner dream. <laughs> no, it's just like, here's the deal. Like, I don't want to go to the supermarkets unnecessarily. And I've tried to where I am right now. And like, they're just insane. And when I have gone, there have actually not been the things that I need. So I've been trying to get stuff online, but I haven't been able to get anything either. And then when I saw the salt box on Amazon was fifteen ninety five, I was like, you got to be fucking kidding me. That's just outrageous. <laughs> this is Waterworld, man. It's like dry goods are not a myth. Like you're, you're just everyone's looking for it. Um, but Wiley sent me this email and was like, Chang needs salt. I can see on his Instagram that he's not seasoning his food. <laughs> he's sparing his salt. <laughs> he's teaching all of his followers how to cook bland food. And uh, I texted Chang. He's like, no, 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 no. Like, don't make him do that. But like, let's well, get no, him on the podcast. Well, no, because I'm not using salt in my pasta water. That, well, but that was my concern is that now suddenly because you're so popular and widely, you know, copied that we're going to have a world of people who appreciate under-seasoned food and that we can't have that. That's I, I can absolutely see like the eater headline just like the new, the hottest new trend is no salt cooking started by Dave Chang. <laughs> I feel this is like very like, like you're using me as like I'm a Trump puppet. Like I just told the world to consume bleach and... You know, you put a UV light in your belly and you're going to fucking get rid of coronavirus. That's what I feel I, like. I got all my scans sitting in a cup of water. I'm doing everything you tell me to. I'm following directions. That's Chang, you got to be careful as an Instagram influencer, man. You can you can get people doing the wrong thing. Um, Wiley, where are you at? How are you doing? How are you living? Um, we're doing well. We're here in Connecticut. We have a home in Connecticut. Uh, and we're, we feel very fortunate. There's a, a good group of us. There's four adults and four kids. So we have a nice mix, which is super fun, all different ages. Uh, and you know, we're okay. I mean, uh, luckily my wife is still gainfully employed and, uh, I'm helping learn how to homeschool and do that sort of thing. And as well as try to keep abreast of whatever might be happening to, 
you know, Dave and my future uh, to the to the extent that there may or may not be one. What is the situation with dues right now? Well, dues dues has been closed for like five about five weeks now. Mm-hmm. Um, we, you know, we did the calculus like a lot of people as the numbers began. I mean, we're we're mostly a wholesale business. Our business was driven by wholesale, so we our retail dried up almost instantly. And then as the we we were basing our our lifespan or on wholesale, and as wholesale began to drop over the course of three days, it dropped kind of off a cliff. And then we just said, okay, guys, I'm sorry. Let's pack it all up. Everybody take whatever food you want, whatever booze you want. Um, and, you know, I'm super sorry. We'll do the best we can. And, and so that's what it's been. It's been five weeks. I just, I went back for the first time uh, this weekend to check it out, see how the space was doing, make sure there was no, you know, nothing bad had happened from infestation of bugs to anything like that. And, and I grabbed some butter and some flour and stuff like that. What is that sensation like at this point walking into your, you know, closed shop? Like, I, I don't, <laughs> it feels like a uniquely this moment kind of thing that people do is your business is there. Nothing happened to the physical space. It's closed, but you, you went back and saw it. Uh, I, you know, for me, I think the hardest part was actually unexpectedly running into one of my employees. Mm-hmm. Um, I was in there just like I said, I, I, I was kind of more or less a drive-by. I wanted to pick some stuff up. I also happened to have a like 200 pounds of pasta flyer pasta in my freezer there. So I grabbed a bunch of that, and I was loading up my cooler. And one of my employees tapped on the window, one of my porters. Um, his name is Felix, amazing guy. Uh, and I said, what, what are you doing here, buddy? Like, it's so good to see you, you know, socially distant from afar. It's great to see you, but what are you doing here? And he said, you know, I come here every other day. And I just sit on the bench in front of the shop and keep an eye on the place. And I was like, I, I was like, I was, I was like, I can't even say it without getting worked up. You know what I mean? Just that notion of here's a guy who sent me an email four weeks ago saying, chef, I'm $9 overdrawn on my bank account. Help me. And yet he's there every other day. And I had no idea this was going on. You know, I didn't know he was doing that. He just gets on his bike from his house. Rides over there, sits on the bench, sits out in front of the shop and watches the place every other day. And I was just like, like, I wanted to hug him. I wanted to hold him. I wanted to, I wanted to tell him, but I couldn't even articulate what that meant to me. You know, it was just incredible. It was incredible. And I think that that is the kind of thing I wish, I wish more people could know and understand and realize that these are the people that make up our world, you know? Yeah. I mean, fuck tearing up hearing that man that's not you didn't ask him to (laughs) there's no nobody knew he was doing it without anybody knowing it's like what 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 could be more selfless you know um than that and 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 more beautiful and wonderful that he was just doing that on his own unbeknownst to me for weeks for weeks you know the happy secret is that you know we've known all along that this is the kind of people that make up your industry you know we've known that there's that kind of heart with with people who care about their jobs, but fuck to see them where they are right now is it's 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 hard. So, and he had a smile. He wasn't he wasn't like upset. He wasn't crying. He was like, "Chef, it's so good to see you. You know, how are you? Um, I quit smoking. I did this. You know, I did that. I mean, I know he's like, I can't afford to buy cigarettes anymore, so that's <laughs> that's part of it. But I mean, he was very positive, very upbeat. You know, he's like. 
And it just, it was like gut-wrenching. It was gut-wrenching. But, you know, I'm glad I went back. I'm glad I had that moment. You know, I'm glad I discovered that because it was really, it's something I'll never forget. And it was super special, you know? Yeah, for sure. I got Um, nothing. I got nothing to say, WD. That just fucking. (laughs) That guts you. That just, uh, that's just too hard to hear. And it's not hard to hear because I don't believe it's happening. It's hard to hear because I know it's happening. It's happening to every restaurant in this country and every small business in this country for people that don't understand that restaurants are family. It really is family. And um, that's just too hard. Yeah. I mean, the guy's, the guy's amazing. And like, what an example of, you know, selfless behavior completely. Like you said, for family, when your family doesn't even know you're doing it for them, it's unbelievable. But you know, he's, he's, I, I check up on him a lot through the other employees, but I said, let me call you Felix. He's like, I, I, I can't pay my phone bill. I don't have a phone right now. Cause they turned off my phone and it's just like, you know, it breaks your heart. But, you know, we got some good news today. It looks like they might release our GoFundMe funds today. Um, uh, and, you know, I'm sure Dave knows how crazy that's been. Hey, WD, what, what's, what's, the Go, what's the GoFundMe page for everybody that's listening? The actual link, uh, it's, it's if you go to the Instagram page, the, my Instagram page, the link is up there. Um, but it's the Dew's Restaurant, uh, Dew's Donuts GoFundMe page. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it's, it's amazing. We, it's, it's amazing what's happening. You know, we had people on there that I hadn't even, someone put two grand in there, two old WD 50 customers. I mean, two seventy one Clinton customers put in wow. two grand, haven't seen them in years and they donated two grand. I don't even know how to call them and thank them. It's not, it was like, again, so, so nice. I mean, you know, the blue tape thing is awesome that you're doing, Dave. It's so, it's so cool. You know, it's such a great, a great thing. But it's also not enough and it's not enough for like. This is the dilemma, WD, and I'm sure you sort of feel the same way too. It's, I mean, I don't want to say you feel the same way, but I, we have a a big platform and people know Momofuku and we can do this. And then it's the dilemma. Like if we don't do this, we lose out on helping our employees. But if we do do this, we take every dollar from someone that could be getting it as well. And it's just a... It's a lose-lose situation for something that should be a win-win situation. And I, I just, it, it's just, it's just too much. Yeah. I mean, it's hard. It's hard to figure it all out. I think, you know, you and I have both read, and maybe you have too, Chris, have read Gabrielle's piece where she sort of walked through that dilemma of the fundraising. And I think she articulated that aspect of the challenge that we all feel pretty, pretty well. But yeah, I mean, and, and for us, it's, you know, I'm going to get every every person. I got ten employees. There's eight grand in there. That's not exactly going to do a whole heck of a lot for those folks. You know what I mean? But it's something. It's something. It, it's not going to necessarily move their needle, but it's going to alleviate. You know, a guy who's nine dollars overdrawn at his bank, sitting on a park bench. You know. Yeah. Well, you know one one thing that we've been talking about a lot here, Chang and I is. And and Marguerite, his the CEO of Momofuku, sort of put it this way: there's the there's the sort of defense side of it, which is protecting your workers by shutting down, doing what you can with the GoFundMe's to raise a little bit of cash and, and help any way you can. The nine dollar overdraft, whatever you can to help. That's the defensive end. And then there's the offense. What comes next? Um, planning for the future. And I and I don't just mean, uh, you know, I think Dave is very much looking at the long-term future. But while we have the two of you who are, you know, the, the some of the most seasoned and, and 
wise minds in food. Um, the topic that I think we wanted to talk about today is um, the the more short term, the immediate. What does what does the restaurant that opens up in the winter of 2020, early part of 2021, what what does it look like, and how, what is it going to take to get there? Um, from an operation standpoint, and and I wanted to ask both of you that question and, and get a little bit about what what the what the uphill battle looks like. You know, I'm, I'm following what Dave's the same sort of reading the same sort of stuff that Dave's reading and trying to access the information the same way. I think it's it's so fluid that it's hard to know exactly what it is going to look like. You know, I think there was a glimmer of hope this week. And then that article about the air conditioning circulating in Hong Kong and making a group of people sick sort of was a big like pin in the bubble of a little bit of hope. But I don't know what it looks like. I think that's the question is, what does it look like? What do we look like? What are, what do the servers look like? What it, do people want to eat in that environment anymore? Is it going to become just too antiseptic to even be enjoyable? It, yes, it'll be safe, but will it will it lack all the things that make going out so special? That warmth, that sense of the best restaurants that are you know basically giving you a hug, but can you give someone a hug with gloves and a mask on, and and, and all of that? I mean, I think that it, it's hard to it's hard to know. You know, I think there's still this sense of like for me, it's like you know we're the dinosaurs and the meteor just hit the planet and it's we're looking at mass extinction just mass like at a at a level that i don't think anybody but we on the inside fully understand you literally like you know it's like dave open up jurassic park restaurant right now because it's <laughs> that's what it's it could possibly be like that you know as we know them it will be so far before that happens um so i'm i'm not sure what it's like and i'm not sure how much People will enjoy whatever it is we decide we have to do, but you know, I, I it's hard. I mean, I can't imagine for Dave. You know, I, I have a donut shop, you know, and dreams of a couple more, and and dreams of some more restaurants. But I just have one donut shop, and I do think that people will. We we can figure out a way to give people coffee and get people donuts, but like the idea of trying to get them their food in in a way that is enjoyable is 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 scary. You know, it's scary. I think. Yeah. Um, Chang, can you talk a little bit? I mean, I know you've, you've brought this up with me in in our conversations, but your experiences in the past with how regulators, government bodies have adapted to a changing landscape, a changing technologies, whatever in restaurants, like how has that played out in the past? And is there any lessons to be learned there or or any signs of what's going to, how it's going to play out this time? I mean, health codes are going to change wholesale and how yeah. has that usually happened before? Well, as Wiley knows, you know, in 2005, I called the assistant head of the health department, a Nazi because <laughs> she made me <laughs> burn all my food with bleach. And I wish I didn't say that out loud. It was a mental thought that should never have been uttered because they shut my restaurant down because I was storing in vacuum and they didn't think a 600 square foot noodle shop would have effectively a time machine for them. Right. And, um, <laughs> they, they literally are like, Oh, we just saw this on a slide. We didn't know that you could have, you, you would have this. And, and, you know, in that moment where I was going to get shut down, unless I had a HACCP plan. Right. And this is what I've been playing out because I was 27 years old, 
the health department's there. They're making me pour bleach on my food, and I lost thousands of dollars. And I was like, I, I'm not going to be able to make this work. I called Cuisine Solutions in Northern Virginia because they were the HACCP masters, and they said oh, it would be like fifteen thousand dollars to create a HACCP plan. I'm like, I don't even know what a HACCP plan is, but the health department's telling me I need one. I asked the health department for some insight to how to get one and to make one, and they didn't even have it part of their protocol. And this was like. December of 2006 or 2005, if I don't call Wiley for help, I'm not here right now, right? And Wiley was able to put me in touch with Christina Tosi, and she learned how to make a HASA plan and do all of these things. And she helped, you know, create the HASA plan for not just WD-50 first, but myself and then many others. And I think about that a lot because I think unequivocally, you know, the health department is probably going to have to reverse engineer what is the best in class, most insanely safe process that we can put in. And you would have to have a HACCP plan. I, I don't see otherwise. Do you think, Wiley? You know, that's an interesting question. I've wondered that myself, if there'd be a HACCP. Um, just before you jump in, Wiley, can you, just for our, our lay people out there, can you guys uh, explain what a HACCP plan is very generally? Uh, hazard analysis and critical control points. It's basically a... a a notebook, a binder that uh, that you, the restaurant, outline all the 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 pinch points along the way of food getting in your door from from getting arriving in your door to going to the customer's table, where where there could be some sort of uh, health code violation breach, and how you uh, how you have preemptively considered them and the the the, the steps you're going to take uh, or you have taken to ensure that. These things that could potentially be harmful to the customers are not happening. Um, and cur- currently, I think the only thing you need a HACCP plan for, Dave, is is uh, anaerobic vacuum packaging. You know, right. what's called cryovacuum, but is is a little confusing. But basically, you know, sealing things in a bag um, on anaerobically without air. That's the important part: the lack of oxygen um, that that leads to all sorts of bad things um, in their mind. But you know. The interesting thing that we we have going for us, you know, Dave, is that for decades we've been washing our hands every forty five seconds and doing all these things. So, like, we're pretty primed for keeping. I mean, talk about washing our hands. I mean, forget about that. If that's if that's an important line of defense, we've got that one down. And so we are good at at following those kinds of rules in a way way before we've been told to do it. We do it. Um, the the good operators, the good people, um, but. But, you know, are they going to ask us to have a HACCP plan for everything? I don't know. That, that, I mean, that will be yet another hurdle that will weed a whole other group of people out of the process, Dave. And I, I, don't, I don't think that they will. Maybe they will. But this is where I've been spending a lot of my time, WD, is we can't, like, conjecture what might be. We need to imagine what the exact end of the spectrum is. And what is the, would you agree that having a HACCP plan, if it wasn't uh, cost prohibitive or laborious and maintenance, right? It was easy. Every restaurant should have one. For what? For all aspects of their business? Just yeah, for all up? aspects of food, for mean, food handling, for accountability. It, it, to me, the HACCP plan ultimately is accountability from start to finish. And, and, some restaurants have it. It's not even called a HACCP plan. It's just knowing whoever touched this food at this point, you can have accountability of what's going on. I, I don't have – I have no problem, like, supporting that concept. I don't think anybody does. And this is a very regulated way of having it. 
that being said is like, okay, if we can imagine that, what I'm asking is this, and I'd love for you to tell me if I'm full of hot air, and I know you have many a times in our conversations, is <laughs> I think we need to start to use our imagination. And it's not about imagining what is possible. We need to start imagining the fucking impossible and start to figure out how to implement the impossible because the impossible right now is this is like making sure that our customers and the diners, I mean, uh, the customers and employees are incredibly safe, right? Food is secondary at this point, in my opinion. And how do we do that? And I, I think we need to start reversing engineering from the best PPE standards, not just washing your hands from how they wake up, you know, like basically I've been playing out in my head every day. If someone goes to work and we're open up in spring of 2021, okay, whether you have 10 employees or a thousand employees, you're going to need to have someone making sure that every employee wakes up, takes their temperature or something like that. I, I'm just, again, giving the most extreme, super conservative scenario, but like we need to end somewhere and then we'll work our way backwards from that. Did you just rent Gattaca, Dave, or something? <laughs> no. That's what it's sort of, oh, no. starting to feel like yeah, a little but, bit. But like again, like I don't want to think this way, but I feel like highly unlikely that any of this is possible. And I don't want to deal with highly unlikelies, but it just makes me seem very clear as to where we can possibly go, right? Because it, yeah. it's either going to be cost prohibitive or it's just going to be too fucking hard to maintain. So it gets us closer to what is most sensible and, and feasible for us to execute. I think it is going to be cost prohibitive what you're proposing, but I also think it's important for all of us to ask do we want to participate in that? Like at what mm. point is the joy being removed from those places that it's not something that I want to continue doing? Um, and I, and that's a struggle too, because, you know, in a month I'm going to be 50. It's a little bit late to start thinking of a new career, but I love cooking. I love working in restaurants. I love doing what I do, but can I love it under these new circumstances? I don't know because we don't know what those circumstances are. I, I agree with you that they're going to be rigorous um, and they're going to be very, they're going to be radically different than what we know, but are they going to be joyless? Are they going to be too sterile? Um, and, and therefore, is it something that I can no longer participate in? Because that's the other part that worries me is not only what are the standards, but what, what, do I want to do that? Can I do that? Can I find the energy and the enthusiasm under this thing? And that's, you know, maybe that's the philosopher in me, but that's what I'm wondering is, is will they take all the joy of it out until they can solve this thing and we can go back in five years or something to some sort of pre-pandemic normalcy? I don't know. But that's exactly the question that should be answered. And, you know, just to clarify, I am not proposing this at all. <laughs> but I'm incredibly upset at the lack of leadership for giving us any landmarks of where to go. And I just want to know what the framework might be from, for each potential scenario. What's the, if you had no <clears throat> limits on cash and, you know, implementing it, okay, what would that look like? And you're seeing some of that in Asia, right? Like if you go to a fancy restaurant in Asia, particularly say Taipei or Hong Kong, you know, you have someone in a hazmat suit wearing a face shield and a, and, and a mask, and you they direct you to a thermal imaging walkway, and then you do a full body alcohol spray, and then you have another person taking a thermometer check of you before you go, and then you have to walk like wash your hands again. It's like 
It's fucking crazy. And again, the cultural divide is, I believe, and this is not, this is generalization, in Asia, that might be seen as like, if I'm going to go out to eat, that's going to be the place where I'm going to eat. In America, that's going to be, give me the, I'm not eating there. That's just too much. Or I'm going there occasionally, but I'm no longer going there once a week, or that's no longer my place. Or yeah. I can't just dip in there and grab a glass of wine and a bite and be out in 20 minutes because it's too much of a fucking production. And I, and it, it's it's like I said, it's become soulless in this in this way. And like you said, I think it's another thing that's going to be important. It's going to be it's going to be expensive. I mean, I, can I can I start charging ten dollars for a latte? Can a donut be seven dollars? Because that's what has to happen. Nobody's going no you know nobody's ready for that. Nobody's ready to absorb those costs. Well, they they have to. And this is again to me. And, and tell me if you think I'm wrong here. Regardless of whatever the government national and state levels implement for safety protocol of food handling. Things are going to get more expensive on the independent restaurant side, but it's not going to for the big corporate chains. They're going to be able to implement pretty easily just putting a mask and gloves because they don't touch food or taste food to begin with. Right. And yeah, it's not going to affect their cost. They're just going to be able to sell things the same or even cheaper and I, I'm really worried about what that looks like because if we want to save the independent restaurants, we're going to have to charge $10 for a cafe latte. But we're going to have to get support from the people that put pen to paper and come to those restaurants and enjoy it and say, you know what, it, it's okay that my latte is now $10. You know, it's okay because that we're not, I mean, our system's been broken for a long time before the pandemic shined a huge light on the fact that our our, our industry's a little messy and a little busted and a little broken and particularly in places like New York city where it's just so expensive to operate. And a latte should have been $10 two months ago before this happened, but there's everybody saying that's outrageous. That's outrageous. You know, a slice of pizza is supposed to be a dollar. It's like, well, but that's, again, that's not, it's not realistic. So yeah, we're getting a chance to start from scratch, but we need to get all, we need to get the diners. We need to get the critics. We need to get everybody to say, this is, this is what it's going to be guys. And there's no complaining. You know, there's no complaining. Food is, ex- I mean, you know, Dave, you talk about this all the time. Food is expensive. Ingredients are expensive. You know, it, these are the things people have to consider. And if you're going to throw in all these new protocols, and you're right, like the big chains, I mean, they could just live off of di- drive throughs They could just make all their businesses drive throughs and it would be fine. You wouldn't have to worry about going in and getting sprayed. You just have a robot hand you your food in a bag, and there you go, and, and no big deal. But we are are small individual places. What I mean, you're looking for them to tell you what to do. They don't know what to do yet, Dave. You know, they they they've got a snowball rolling down the hill. They they got to wait till it gets to the bottom, and then they can begin. I think to come up with some some protocols. Currently, I think I think it's great that you're pushing and fighting for it, but I think that they're spinning their wheels too. They're 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 trying to figure themselves out, let alone come, give us answers. Unfortunately. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsors. Today's episode of The Dave Chang Show is brought to you by State Farm. Look, as you guys know, I tend to give it to you straight. And while I know a lot of things, I also know there are times when I need to lean on others for help. When it comes to insurance, State Farm is the one I count on. I love that they make insurance easy. You can monitor your coverage, pay your bill, or even file a claim with their app, which was just awarded Best Insurance Mobile App of 2019. And thanks to that network of 19,000 agents, you'll have someone local to walk you through options and help you choose a policy that truly meets your needs versus cookie-cutter coverage. But what I appreciate most is that they don't mess around. They don't bother with gimmicks or games, just helpful guidance you can rely on. 
Go out and get the insurance you deserve. Get statefarm.com. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Get a quote or find an agent at statefarm.com. And now, back to the show. Dave, can I ask you to answer? I, I think Wiley brought up the critical question here, right? And I, maybe this is unanswerable for you, but if the protocols that emerge from this, at least until there's a vaccine and, 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 and sort of public confidence is restored, if the world looks like the most extreme version that you're talking about, the Gattaca restaurant. Is that a world that you still want to participate in as a chef? Well, you know, I, I have been thinking about this a lot and understanding that what I've been proposing again, is not what I want, but I think it's going to be somewhere less than that, obviously. But when I, I come down to this, it's something we talked with Corey Lee on a couple podcasts ago was it's the airport restaurant. Can I get excited about operating an airport restaurant, right? And you know what? I'll be honest. It's like when I say about we have to think about the things that we could not think about before, I think that's the only way we're going to get answers. And the only reasons why I don't give a shit about airport restaurant is because it's an airport restaurant. We haven't spent time, someone like WD or the collective great minds of our generation haven't really thought about making an airport restaurant amazing. And again, to reiterate why it's an airport restaurant, it's highly regulated. You have controlled like food items. You can't just get whatever you want. So the menu rarely ever changes. You have HACCP plans and severe security safety protocol, which is why it's a, you know, it's a soulless restaurant for the most part. And you have a variety of restaurants within the airport restaurants. You can have great airport restaurants in Singapore, in Japan. So it's not that it's impossible right? You can have fucking amazing food in airport restaurants. But when we don't care about it and we see it as sort of like, a, just like this, just give me a fucking cup of coffee and like a shitty banana and a sandwich. Yeah, it's going to be. It's the same way when we think about, oh, food can't be good in basements or fifth floors of like shopping malls. Like again, like to me, Asia is leading the way in so many ways to think about it. So for me, do I want to operate an airport restaurant? No, I don't. Do I want to have the restaurants that Wiley fell in love with and I fell in love with to just feel that that camaraderie between diner and 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 your back of the house and the front of the house that 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 it's a concert every night and it feels unbelievable. Yes, I want that. I want to be able to shake hands. I want to be able to hug. I want to be able to laugh. I want someone to say, taste this. Taste this. This is so fucking good. Of course. But this is going to be a momentary stoppage in that. And again, we have to worry about what's going to happen when things get restarted. And hopefully independent restaurants can survive with some assistance. And I believe that will happen, I hope, maybe. But in the meantime, while we're trying to figure it out and trying to figure out the future for our employees, maybe we need to meditate on how do you make an airport restaurant amazing? How do you? Yes, I agree. It's not compelling WD at all. And listen, just because I'm saying this doesn't mean like an hour from now, I'm going to be like, what's the fucking point? This sucks, right? But I'm forcing myself, I really am, you know, because yesterday I had a, like a conversation with the Marge and we were just arguing back and forth because it was like, what are we trying to fight for? Is it even worth it? And the question is legitimate, but I think the answer is, of course it is. Because we have to. And if not for us, it's for the next generation of diners and restaurant owners because we have to save something for them if it's not for us. So I feel very strongly that we need to start to meditate and to think collectively of how to force ourselves to make 
a soulless giant dining experience amazing. Wiley, are you <laughs> are you better equipped to face this future with dues than you would have been with WD fifty or or seventy one Clinton? Or do you feel at all um, that you're in a better position, or 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 no? I mean, better position. That's uh, you know that's that's a tough question. I don't think anyone's in a good position right now. I think that we're all in the same position. Um, but I think that, I think that it's going to be easier to get people to come and grab a cup of coffee and a donut, uh, sooner. Um, I think that those are things that help people feel normal. Um, and they're, they're important parts of people's day. And I think that that's an easy way to get a little bit closer to the hug that we're talking about than say a, a, a 10 course tasting menu or, or something like that, which seems, pretty far away. I mean, again, I don't, I feel bad for us all. I don't know that I feel comfortable saying anybody's in a better position than the next person. Um, I think that it's, it's, it's a, it's, we all have a sort of strange, uh, strange is the best word, strange road ahead of us. Um, and, and, and trying to figure it out. I think that, um, that again, given that we're, we're, we peddle something that people really like and it's easy and it's a grab and go. And it can, I can imagine, you know, to Dave's point, like imagine it being somewhat non-contact, you know, uh, I, I can see that being a little bit easier when we're kind of mono, we just make donuts and coffee. It's versus an entire restaurant full of things, you know, I mean, uh, is it going to stone barns if you just drive by and, you grab a bag outside of Stone Bards and drive away. I mean, I think that that's a really interesting approach, but I, I, I don't know. But if you if it was donuts and coffee, it would probably still be mm-hmm. um, a, a pretty good facsimile of of going to dues. I don't see people coming back into dues too soon. I don't see us um, doing a lot of retail business. So maybe I'm better poised because we we are going to be dependent on wholesale. And once our wholesale accounts open back up, then we can open back up. Um, so maybe we're better poised. Uh, and again, I think coffee is such a commodity that we're going to see people, you know, wanting that quickly. I mean, I, coffee is important to me. I don't know what you guys are drinking, you know, in I'm drinking my, but. my father-in-law's sludge. It's so intense, man. I'm dying over here. I need, I need decent coffee. Um, I do want to hear about if you, if either of you have have been sort of having fever dreams about what like the great airport restaurant looks like in the future. I'd love to hear those. But for first, I, I you know Chang brought up the idea of of this restart and reboot and whenever restaurants can come back. Um, for a layperson and for anybody out there who sort of is watching these protests about reopening the country and just like let's just get the restaurants back open right now and all this stuff like can you paint a picture besides the HACCP plans and besides like the new safety protocols what are the challenges of rebooting your restaurant even if it's just been closed for six weeks eight weeks whatever cost can you explain those can you explain those money money (laughs) yeah Yeah. like what is but like so again we, we talked about this if you have a steakhouse and you had to get rid of all your meat because you, you're basically not controlling the aging process anymore, you know, rep- even if you had a small steakhouse, you're looking at a quarter million dollars just to repopulate your, 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 your glass cages. Like, what the fuck? And you're buying food now on a level of like, wait, what are my parts going to be moving forward? Also, how many employees can I bring back? Of course, everybody wants to bring back all their employees, which is one of the biggest con- 
complaints about the PPP with those that could get it was, wait, I have to hire 70% of my employees before June 30th. And if I don't, it becomes a loan that I have to be back within two years. But how do we know we're even going to be able to hire everyone back when no one's going out to eat in restaurants to begin with? So I think the biggest problem besides money is our leadership has been fucking terrible because they're just throwing darts in the dark. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 not to beat a dead horse, but Dave's absolutely right about the money. It's like funds. You know, one of the other things too, I don't hear, I, you can't, I can't be on top of every news outlet. And Dave, maybe you can weigh in on this. One thing I don't hear a lot of chatter about is, is, is what are the landlords' positions? I, I, I'm waiting to hear that. You know, because there's a lot of people um, kind of eating a shit sandwich right now, and I haven't heard to what extent the landlords are willing to participate in the haircut, you know, cause we're all t- going to have to take a big haircut and it's going to be, I think that's one of the things, you know, to Dave's point, give us some guidance. What's going to happen? Like, is there going to be nationwide, you know, rules, regulations regarding what landlords can and can't do? Because we're all holding off paying certain bills, this and that, and, you know, rent is a big deal. What, what's that going to look like? Are we all going to be in a position to renegotiate, to renegotiate our leases, to get a better lease? Because we, you know, the square footage of our restaurants isn't going to change, but the amount of people coming in is going to is going to go way down. So, so yeah, our WD, ability to earn that's going to change. There's no question. Because if it doesn't, good luck fucking getting someone else. And I just really strongly say it's like don't pay your fucking rent. Fuck them. If they're gonna if they're gonna boot you out, they boot you out. But like that's unacceptable. Number one and number two, everything has to re- reset to a different level. And if they're gonna show like this level of greed and not have any kind of empathy for what everyone's going through, and they're gonna only worry about them, you know, I, I think that that's not. I, I mean, listen, we're gonna have people that abuse both sides of this equation. But I do think that this is someone that has no faith in our government right now. I think that the government understands this, which is why the idea of too small to fail is true. I think it's very clear to people that if the restaurant industry absolutely falters, the whole economy collapses and who gives a shit about wall street because there will be nothing to fucking deal with anyway. It'll be complete. You know? So I think that over time, as we sort of piecemeal, what this problem is, real estate will have to be addressed. Whether everyone goes to some kind of percentage rent, which would make sense, you know, moving sure. forward, that would sure. be great. Everyone is a flat percentage rate, percentage yeah. rate for the two years or three years, right? And, you know, there's there's things that we can do, but it can only work if the government is actually looking out for us. And the problem is, it's like, if they can't look out for the people like right now, I mean, I'm not, I'm not I don't want to get myself in trouble. All I'm saying is, I feel strongly that you haven't thus so- far. I think you go for it. What the hell? Just go for it. <laughs> Something, something's going to happen and the rent's going to have to give. And I just, I think collectively, I don't want to say unionize, but if every restaurant owner says, Hey, we're not paying if you don't pay, I think that's a strong fucking statement. Yeah. I just say we haven't heard much on that as that hasn't been part of the discussion yet. And I'm just waiting for that to be a part of it. Because uh, I think it's an important one that hasn't hasn't come up yet. I mean, the PPP is sort of the big thing that is always up, up there, up there, up there, and it you know that's important. Uh, and and it's obviously like a colander; it doesn't hold any water. You know, it's like it's a giant sieve. But yeah, anyway, you know that I'm the most pessimistic. Am I the most pessimistic person? You know, WD. 
Yeah, I mean, I was kind of hoping we'd find a moment in this conversation to be the, the to say the glass was half full, but obviously that won't happen. <laughs> but it's okay. And this is where the craziest thing is: is my brain is short circuiting because I think the only way out right now is to be optimistic and 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 to hold on to hope. As cliche and cheesy as that sounds, as impossible as that may be, because I think we have to make the impossible happen. Across the board, every answer to every problem is that's impossible. Yeah. And you know what? We got to make the fucking impossible happen. And that's what the restaurant industry does time in, time out. We make impossible shit happen. And guess what? Yeah, on the hour. We yeah. do that on the hour. And you know? you know what? I'm tired of everyone saying, including my own consciousness, hey, that's impossible. I got to shut the fuck up. We got to make them possible happen. So we got to put the work in to figure out how to make that happen. So, you know, I, I, they're, they're just, let's just get the facts out of the way. I think first and foremost, New York city is, should be carved out of what's happened in the rest of America, right? New York is basically worse than Wuhan, China in terms of how badly it's affected us and the density. So you talk to Nick and Grant over in Chicago, they're kicking ass right now and God bless them. Because they're yeah, they're not. They don't seem like they're having any trouble. No, and 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 you know what? Like they've been proactive, and I think the biggest problem is is if we were in Chicago or Seattle or you know places like that, we would. But like, I think it'd be easier for people to to operate. New York is a little bit more difficult than other places right now. And yeah, I mean, we ha- we had to send everyone home. We had to. We had no choice. To. We had and, to. And the other part is, is like transportation is another thing. We have a restaurant in Los Angeles, but you know, we have many of our management staff are married with children and like, I'm not going to force them to do charity work, even though we all want to, to now feel like, wait, like, you know what I mean? Like, I don't want them to feel like they have to do something, even though they all want to they come home and they get everyone sick and vice versa. So this is something that we need to figure out, which is why to me, before we take the next step on helping the communities and feeding frontline workers and the seniors centers. Like we need to get sure, like figure out the safety protocol first and foremost. And we will, but I think as a whole, you need to carve New York out. We need to look at the things that we can control. And yes, you're right. The day of reopening is probably going to suck more than we can realize, but we always turn, you know, shit into fucking diamonds. We have to. You know, but first we got to turn into a lump of fucking coal and then magically turn that lump of coal into fucking a diamond. But you know this, we just have to make that happen. And I think the mindset of all of us, as dreary and impossible and absurdly stupid as it seems and overwhelming, is just to hold on to the hope that we can make the impossible happen. And that's not an answer. I know. I don't have the answers. But I feel like if we lose that, that stance that we can turn the tide at a moment's notice because of sheer inspiration in an idea, then, then, then we are truly fucked. I mean, that's the most optimistic you've ever been. (laughs) Uh, yeah. Have either of you had any sort of, uh, fever dreams of, of what that like kind of Gattaca hygiene proof health safety proof restaurant looks like what the great airport restaurant looks like what kind of food would lend itself to this new world if, if, if any ideas occurred to you are you keeping those close to the vest pizza any- pizza 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 it's just pizza <laughs> just pizza it's time for it's yeah. time for korean pizza kitchen dave it was hey. started off as a joke after a pint of whiskey and now it's you know or just or just uh sliced tomatoes and oysters <laughs> 
Oh, that's gross. Pizza. Come on, I'm working on pizza. My pizza game's getting better and better, and I need a job, Dave. So yeah, let's go. actually let, let's talk about that for a second. Wiley, you say you got some pizza dough waiting to be to be made right now for for dinner. Yeah, Friday night. It's pizza night. Give us more, a little bit more of a picture into the uh, the the eating that's going on over at your house right now, or the day to day generally. Day to day, you know, Monday through Friday is obviously where I'm I'm working on my homeschooling game, which which is you know, Dave likes to use the letter grades. I've noticed he's he's giving equipment the letter grade. I would probably get like a B minus, maybe as a as a head principal. Still passing. That's all that matters. Chef. <laughs> B minus yeah. as a homeschooler is a hard grade yeah. to get. That is tough. Yeah. That is a hard. Yeah, job there's a, with a curve though. I think with a curve. <laughs> so you're you're judging yourself based on what you've seen from other parents in the class, and you're giving yourself. No, a solo you know, B-. we we I get up and I help the two girls. You know, because I, again, I feel super lucky that that my wife Miley has has a lot to do. I mean, an incredible amount of work to do, and so I try to offer my support in terms of helping the kids out. You know. Uh, getting breakfast, getting lunch. And then my brother-in-law and I, we alternate cooking, which is fun. So I, you know, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, I cook and Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, he cooks and Sunday, we just sort of play it by ear and, uh, and it's fun. And Fridays is pizza night. So I'm, I'm work, been working on my pizza game. Well, tell us about this pizza game that you got going and, and give us the, the highlights here. Well, tonight, I think we've got, I got eight balls of dough that are proofing right now downstairs and we're going to work on, you know, some different toppings. I, I, there will be no tomatoes or oysters uh, on the pizzas. Uh, Wiley is famously not fond of those two (laughs) ingredients, but he's come around to chewing gum. He's come around to chewing gum. Uh, Chewing gum is okay if you're flying, you know, if you're flying. (laughs) I just like things that taste good. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's it. Oh, I apologize. Damn. The oyster industry is already hurting, and Wiley Dufresne oh, is just yeah. taking shots at him. <laughs> I support oyster farmers. I support them. I think that they're very important, and it's something that we should never lose. I just don't need to eat them. <laughs> so, what's going on with the pizzas, and how are you? How are you baking them? We just like this is this is our favorite part. We just get to nerd out with you about what you're doing. I have a uh, I have a Breville Pizzaiolo, their pizza oven, which is awesome. I love it. It gets up to north of seven hundred degrees, and uh, so that's that's really good for for an oven. It, I can make a, a like Neapolitan style pie in like ninety seconds, which is pretty awesome. So we're gonna have some fun tonight. I got some some small like tiny Yukons. We're gonna do a potato pie. I made some romesco. I made a ton of romesco uh, a couple weeks ago. It's in the freezer. Do some romesco, some asparagus. Um, probably like you know to keep Dave happy. We'll do like a buffalo chicken ranch pie. <laughs> yeah. um, you know some some stuff I like, like that. Again, I also like things that taste good. So you know. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's so good. Uh, but it's been fun. You know, I, I, it, you know, full transparency, pizza is not something that I've ever been particularly gifted at. Um, done it a couple of times. So it's been fun to, to work on it week after week and tweak the dough. And now I can answer nerdy questions like, what's your hydration of your dough? I can answer that question now. You know, before it was like, I, uh, yeah, there was water in it. But, you know, so it's been fun. It's been fun. I, I have a tendency, as Dave knows, to sort of go down the rabbit hole of a, of a, of a topic. And so you don't um, say I have had fun with it. That's how he opened up a donut shop. He literally just went down the rabbit hole and came out with a donut shop. <laughs> So oh Wiley, Wiley, can I t- can I tell you what I've been doing with uh, my 
time besides making breakfast, lunch, and dinner and all kinds of shit. <laughs> and I haven't been filming this. My goal by the end of quarantine is to make master level sourdough loaves with no, <laughs> with no recipe, no measurements <laughs> whatsoever. Just everything by feel. <laughs> And it's working out terribly so far. <laughs> yeah. 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 Exactly. Exactly. No more. The world does not need more sourdough, Dave. No, no, no. no. But they need sourdough done like drunken master away. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you, you know what? You know what's great for that, Dave, is the Instapot, I think. <laughs> are, uh, are you pro Instapot? Uh, I'm, I'm okay. I'm, I'm relatively agnostic. I mean, my, I've had some delicious things out of the Instapot. I didn't know? ask you about Christianity, dude. Like, come on. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pro pressure cooker. I'm a hundred percent pro yes. pressure cooker. I was an early adopter to that technology. Yes, you were, but it's just a pressure cooker. That's it. It's not anything else. It's a pressure cooker. Uh, well, it like as you noticed, it makes things like chili very well. Miley's made some fantastic chili in there. She did a butter chicken in there that was exceptional. Um, you know, I like it's 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 fine. It's fine. It's totally fine. Doesn't make rice. <laughs> it doesn't make rice. So it's, right. it's it doesn't matter to me. I make rice in a pot the old-fashioned way with my yeah. finger in the yeah. water line. You know, so the normal pot. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know, Chang. I feel like we're trying to recruit a new cult member in the anti-Instapot thing. And, no, and it's not the, the going report, so well. The report on Wiley is just going to be like resistant. Hey, WD, you know what we should do? Because we've been doing this dad's podcast, but you're the only one that has like kids, two girls that are older and being homeschooled. Do you want to share with, join us in the next dad's podcast where you yeah. can share with us the insights of being a homeschool teacher? Sure. Oh my sure, God, I'm this is going to be amazing. Yeah, good. I'm like the vice principal, the lunch lady. Uh, I have some janitorial <laughs> duties that I try to stay on top of. And yeah, I, I, absolutely. Absolutely. So you heard it here first. The volume three of Dads is going to be with WD, the multi-hyphenate of homeschool. It's going to be amazing. <laughs> yeah, today was fractions, man. It was hurting. My head hurt after the fractions today. <laughs> what, hey, can I ask? Can I ask? What do you do when you see something and you don't have the answer? Do you just lie? Oh, no. Oh, no. My kids are way too smart for that. No way. No way. But we, you know, we fight over it, too. Like, why are 75 fourths? Is that 18 and three quarters? Like, my daughter's like, that's not right. You're wrong. And, you know, I, I also been, the gym thing is the, the most frustrating. The gym class, the gym teacher keeps sending videos about how to do push-ups. And he's got his elbows way out like this. And I'm like, that's, and, and I'm like, that's not how you do a push-up. You're going to dislocate your rotator cuff. And she's like, well, he's the gym teacher and he does it like this. I was like, no, it's a push-up. Come on. And I have to go to the internet and show pictures. Like, but you're not the gym teacher. That's not how Mr. Oh, Bieber would do this is going to be it. great. Was, let's get everyone primed and pumped up for the, the WD <laughs> Dads Volume Three. I am. I. I. I'm not. This is how like crazy I am about quarantine. I am more looking forward to this than anything else right now. <laughs> if we were closer, I'd make donuts and bring them over. I'm sorry. You know what? I just want frozen Dews donuts. That is truly the best. Like. Uh, I, there's so many things I miss to eat right now, but I want that so bad. <laughs> Dave, when I was there, I took a half, to, four. I took four out of the freezer because there was a ton in the freezer. Don't ask me why I didn't take 20 or 30 or 50. I took four uh, and brought them home. They were so good, man. They were so good. 
They're really like, listen, they're delicious fresh, but man, like there's something about it being frozen that I just can't put my, I can't describe. I'm not a food writer, ask Ying, but like, fuck. <laughs> I, I, I swear to God, they're the best things ever. I, I'm loath to agree with you, but on this one, I have to. I know. What else have you been making? What is your go-to going back to food? Like, this is like the best part of these podcasts is like what you're actually cooking. So like, besides pizza, what's your go-to? What's the meal you've made the most? What's now? the biggest hit in the household? Yeah. Well, okay. The biggest hit, Dave, you'll love this. So for the first time ever, ever, I don't know if this is good parenting or bad parenting, but the first time ever, my kids had ramen this week. What? Yeah. Yeah. My kids had top ramen. We had a we had a Marukan Nissan side by side. First time, my kids freaked out. They loved it. My daughter had had ramen three days in a row this week for school lunch. It's been awesome. But I've been loving having the you know pasta flyer pasta. That's been amazing for me. Um, and I've been it, you know it cooks in thirty seconds, so that's a great go to. I've been doing a lot of pastas. Um, like I said, I, I make. Uh, Romesco, put that in the freezer. We're going to have miso soup on Saturday. I'm super excited for that. That's going to be another first. I can't find any tofu, Dave, in the spirit of what things I can't get. I can't get any tofu. So we're going to have miso soup without tofu. So by the way, uh, Corey Lee threw out there that he was like almost like invented making tofu with <laughs> transglutaminase. Wait, 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 wait. Corey said he used transglutaminase to... to emulsify or, or, or to, to what is it no 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 he took soy milk and he he said it with miklu right he said that but chang did not miss a single beat and jumping on top of this and was like actually wiley did that many years ago <laughs> it was it was unbelievable true uh, wiley can you tell the world a little bit about why that works and why that's better potentially well, I, I don't want to go into Thunderdome with Corey Lee. Let's start. Let's be clear about that. Because <laughs> no, I was giving him shit. But like, two men enter, one man leave, uh, <laughs> and he'll definitely sweep the leg. So I don't want to. I don't want any part no, of no, that. No, no. But, but for the, for the, we, we um, want to hear a little bit. Give us a, give us a little bit of insight, like the the scientific side of like why does that work and why does it produce like such a great textured tofu. And why it doesn't work with like the store-bought, like regular store-bought soy milk? Why doesn't it work with regular store-bought soy milk? I don't know. That's a good question. Is it because is it part of the pasteurization process maybe? or I think so. Maybe, that would be maybe, my maybe, guess. I, I remember trying it. I remember trying it so many times. Uh, not so um, many times, but a long time ago. It didn't work. But, but yeah, I mean, we did it. Milk. We did it. We made some fun stuff. We made like like Campari tofu and stuff like that a million years ago back at WD. And and it's it's great because, you know, the enzyme – it cross-links with the proteins in the tofu and it makes these covalent bonds that basically behave like a gel. So you're able to take, take the tofu, which is, which is a gel, break it down and reset it. Uh, and what was fun for us was we were able to add flavors to it, whether it's vegetable purees or actually, you know, booze and stuff like that and, and get these wonderful, beautiful textures that are pretty interesting. I mean, Miklo, I am a fan. That's for sure. He's the biggest fan of Miklu. He literally set the world on fire with Miklu. <laughs> it's why every it's in households all across the country now. Wait, wait, t- say a little bit more about Campari tofu WD. Like how what was the how did you serve that? I think that was with octopus. I think we served it with octopus and uh, chicken skin. Maybe I I got to look back in the Rolodex. Go down to the basement and dust a few notebooks off. WD, what was the first Miklu dish you put on the menu at WD50? I think it was the noodles. I think the noodles were first. 
Um, shrimp, shrimp noodles. Sh- yeah, shrimp noodles. I'm sorry, the shrimp noodles. That was we spent so much time working on that. What was number two? Um, uh, you know, maybe was it the chicken ball? Maybe it was a chicken ball. I thought chicken ball was first. Yeah, I think you're right. I think chicken ball was first. I think you're absolutely right. With mole paper and egg yolk and carrots. That's a hundred percent right. Yep. I think <laughs> it might have been a chicken ball. Uh, this is the point. This is the point in the conversation between <laughs> Chang and Wiley, where Chang becomes like Chris Farley hosting the Chris Farley show, where it's just like, remember when you did shrimp noodles? That was awesome. <laughs> Like he's such a fan, man. Like it's so funny to watch him. Like whatever he just lights up and like loves remembering every single detail of the dish. When you were like trying to think of the octopus, I was watching his face, just like, "Yep, I knew that. I knew that one already." <laughs> like he, he's. I love WD, man. Like uh, man, I love WD in real life, and I love WD fifty <laughs> as a restaurant. Dave, you know what I found the other day during like one of the many spring cleanings? I found two two gems. I found an old porter shirt. From the Hickory House, with the, with the iron on on it, porter, actual porter shirt from the Hickory House. Oh my god! Which I found, which I have, and then the other thing I found was I found all my tickets from WD of all the dupes of Bill Grimes and Gail Green. I had them buried oh in. God. I had them in a. Of course, I had them in a pint container in a in a box, and I found all my tickets <laughs> of Bill of what Bill Grimes ate, all of them. It's great. So fun. Oh, Bill Grimes missed the boat on that Is that one. a common thing? Do you have those two, chain? Do you have the tickets for order tickets for critics that have come in? I've never heard of that. They're tattooed on my heart. <laughs> no, I mean, I, it's, it's an embarrassment, Chris. I have an inability to throw things out. I have more memorabilia and crap. I am definitely a hoarder. There's no denying it. Coming soon, uh, the Discovery Show, Hoarders. Oh, going back to the, can we just explain the Hickory House before we go? How insane that was. That was one of the weirdest things you've ever been part of. Yes, that was one of the weirdest things I've ever been part of. 100%. That was in Food and Wine 2008. Food and Wine Aspen 2008. Uh, Chang and his band of merry pranksters were hillside uh living in condos and then one night he was cooking a dinner at the hickory house and phil baltz and his crew right helped put that on if i'm not mistaken yeah yeah um and it was there was a band there was a pig roast and then it was you know dave chang and and friends at the hickory house and i was uh shorty josh eden and i were were on the on the list of guests and we helped uh, basically you know roast and pull the pork and serve it and that was a super super fun night and uh, the only way I would say yes to doing this was if I could just like, we could just all hang out and have a fun time with our friends. Like, again, like the same kind of feeling we want to have when restaurants can reopen, right? That feeling of camaraderie and love and friendship. And the only way I would say yes is if they would hire a mime for this party. And they did. <laughs> it was awesome. I was so psyched. I should... I mean, I can go run and get it, Dave. I was so excited when I found it. I was like, oh, my God, look at this. It's a Hickory oh, House. It's man. a porter shirt. Oh, it's got the God. iron on on it. It's it's in mint condition. It's never been oh, worn, wow. Dave. It's, it's cherry. Just, that makes me it's so cherry. happy to think about that memory. So thank you yeah. for letting me go down memory lane. <laughs> um, Chris, let's get him out of here, and let's try to do Dad's 3 with, with WD. I'm looking greatly forward to that, WD. You got to come with You got to come with things that you've done well as a parent in the week things that you've done poorly 
and then Ooh, uh, and long then a, <laughs> right those are always easier to come up with and then uh questions a question a parenting question that's our new format great can do amazing we're gonna have the first non-asian dad <laughs> yeah perfect whites they have babies too <laughs> Uh, WD, give give Miley and everyone a big hug for me, and uh, I can't wait to give you a hug in real life soon enough. Yeah, man. Likewise, we, uh, lots of love to everybody out there. Uh, stay strong, stay safe. Thanks for having us. We'll be thinking of you on pizza night. Love you guys. Take care. Well, that was our conversation with the great Wiley Dufresne. Thanks to Chris Ying for helping me co-host this. I cannot wait to check out Dew's Donuts whenever they reopen up to get fresh donuts and frozen. Frozen is so damn good. But Wiley, just an icon, one of the great chefs that America's ever produced. And, um, you know, that story of his employee coming to his restaurant just was... uh, was a lot, and, and I'm sure you guys all listened to that and felt the same as well. But uh, we'll, we'll get him on as on Dad's Volume 3, telling us what homeschooling is like. And um, stay tuned for a podcast on Thursday, I believe. And give us five stars, however you rate this podcast, iTunes, Spotify, or Stitcher. Um, call your congressman. It's not too late. If you haven't already, they need to hear your stories. They need to get more data. And if you have data, please share it as to the impact that the industry and everyone that's associated in the industry is going through right now. And I know that we're going to figure out a way. We have no choice. So we have to make the impossible happen. And uh, we'll get there. We have to believe in that. That's it, guys. It's uh, almost bedtime for me got a busy day tomorrow every day seems to be busy and i just want to have one of those uh not so busy days but uh doing everything i can to help out stay safe everybody bye